Welcome to A Bigger Life, where you can break through the distractions, stop, listen, and speak to God in prayer. I'm Dave Cover. I want to help you use the Bible as your conversation with God so you can live a bigger life. God has put your life in a place and a time that requires you to have courage. It's unavoidable. That's why the the metaphors the Apostle Paul uses in the New Testament to describe the Christian life is the metaphor of running the race, finishing the race, fighting the good fight of faith. It requires courage to finish a race. It requires courage to fight a fight. All throughout the Bible, God calls his people to have courage, to show courage, because our life is always taking place in a dangerous environment, a dangerous environment to our faith. We have enemies. I mean, we don't think of it maybe that way. I, I doubt that you think of your life as having enemies. Uh, I don't really often think of my life as having enemies, and yet the very context of our life is that we are fighting a fight. Our life is taking place in the midst of real enemies. That's the way it is, whether we think of it that way or not. But Psalm 108 reminds us of that. It's a Psalm of David. And as you know, if you've been a part of this podcast for any length of time, David wrote his Psalms, most of them, in the context of fear, the context of struggle, the context of having real enemies and fighting a fight. And that's what Psalm 108 is. It's actually taking the the last part of two psalms, Psalm 57, and then it's taking the last part of Psalm 60. It's kind of, in a sense, plagiarizing itself, but there's no plagiarism when it comes to the Holy Spirit and Scripture. I'm just kind of joking there. But it's the last part of Psalm 57. That's the first part of Psalm 108. And then the last part of Psalm 60 is the last part of Psalm 108. And the last part of Psalms, these usually when you read a psalm, especially a psalm of David, but really all of them, the last part is the part where David or the author of whatever psalm puts his life back in the context of the real narrative. And so in some sense, Psalm 108 is a, a psalm where it's constantly trying to put his life in the context of the real narrative. And, and that's really how it starts. The very first verse says, David says, my heart is steadfast, O God. Now we've looked at that word steadfast in our English translations, talking about the love of God being steadfast. Here it's a context of our heart being steadfast. And the word in the Hebrew that this word is translating means to stand upright, as if fighting against an enemy, to stand strong. David is saying, my heart stands strong. It's maybe a great way to think of it would be, my heart is determined to have courage. Remember in the psalm right before this, we looked in Psalm 107, verse 26, talking about how when we approach life in a proud way, we think we're in control of more than than we really can control. We think we're in control of our lives, and then God causes the storms to rise, the waves to to, to increase, and it says they, they mounted up to heaven, they went down to the depths, their courage melted away. And this is what life does to us, and it tends to melt our courage away. And yet God is always calling us to have courage. And so so remember Psalm 27, verse 14, David says, Wait for the Lord, be strong, 
and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. This idea of your heart being in a disposition of courage as you wait for the promise of God. You don't have it yet. You're in a position of waiting for God's promise to be to be fulfilled. And so that's going to require you to be strong of heart. It requires for your heart to have courage. To, this idea of having a heart that says, I'm not going to give in to fear. I'm going to trust the promise of God. Psalm 34, verse 24, same thing. It says, be strong and let your heart take courage, all you who wait for the Lord. This idea of waiting for the Lord is a common phrase we see in the Psalms. And with that comes this idea of having a heart that is determined to be strong and courageous. We see that kind of language all the way through the Bible. Deuteronomy 31, 6, Moses says, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified because of them, talking about the enemies of Israel. For the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. This idea of being strong and courageous because we're choosing to believe that God's word is true when he promises to never leave us, to always be with us, to never forsake us. So Second Chronicles, kind of th- same thing, verse 32, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged. Discouraged, think about that word. That means not having courage, letting your courage melt away. Do not be afraid or discouraged because of the king of Assyria and the vast army with him, for there is a greater power with us than with him. It's just this belief that God's word is true, his promise is true, I can't see it yet, I'm waiting for his promise still, and that disposition of waiting is going to require me to have a heart of courage. Jesus picks up on this language in Matthew 14 when he's coming on the water and they're afraid when they see him. They think they see a ghost. The disciples in the boat do. And Jesus says to them, take courage. I am. Don't be afraid. In Matthew 14, 27, they translate it, it is I, but in the Greek it's I am. Take courage. I am. Don't be afraid. What Jesus is doing there is repeating that same idea all throughout the Bible, that believing in God, believing in the I am, his faithfulness to us, his will for our lives is good, his love for us is steadfast, to believe that our whole lives is going to require courage. It's going to require a heart of courage. We read in the book of Acts in the New Testament, Acts 23, 11, it says, The following night, the Lord stood, that's interesting, isn't it? The Lord stood near Paul and said, Take courage. As you have testified about me in Jerusalem, so you must also testify in Rome. That Paul is going to have this task in front of him, and he's just like the Israelites and just like us. In the context of adversaries, in the context of danger, it's going to require a heart of courage. He's going to have to take courage and trust in the promise of God, even though he can't see it. So Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 16, 13, Be on your guard. Stand firm in the faith. Be courageous. Be strong. That's what all of us have to have this sense. I have to stand guard. I must stand firm in the faith. I have to be courageous. I have to be strong. So David says here in Psalm 108, our psalm we're looking at today, the very first thing, my heart 
is steadfast. We could easily translate that. My heart is courageous. My heart is determined to stand strong. My heart is steadfast, O God. And then he says, I will sing and make melody with all my being. Now, this is interesting because what your translator is doing here is translating the Hebrew that says, I will sing and make melody with my glory. In other words, what David is saying here is that his glory is what's going to be giving God glory. We were created in the image of God, the image of God's glory, as reflections of God's glory. Our very being here is referred to as our glory. That's the one thing, it's not not the only thing, but it's one thing we have in common with God is this sense that glory is what we were created for. God wasn't created, but God exists in pure glory, and we were created to reflect his glory like the moon reflects the sun. We were created to have a shining glory. And so David says here, my heart is steadfast, O God. I will sing and make melody with all my glory because of God's promise. I'm going to glory in the glory of God's promise. I'm going to glory in the glory and beauty of God. I'm not worshiping because it's my duty. I'm worshiping because it's my beauty. It's what brings beauty into my life because of the glory of God. So he says in verse 2, Awake, O harp and lyre. I will awake the dawn. The narrative of David's life in the Bible tells us that he was a musician. He played guitar. I mean, it's called the harp and lyre in the Bible, but that's just a form of a small guitar. It's not one of these big harps that you might see on stage in a concert. It's a, it, The harp then was a small guitar. David was a musician. And so these psalms are, are songs that David wrote and sang, and that's what Psalm 108 is. I'm going to sing this song. I'm going to awake my harp and my lyre, and I'm going to awake the dawn. He's doing this before the sun comes up. He's going to give glory to God with his glory. He's going to have his glory Glory in the glory of God. And so he's telling, my heart is steadfast to be courageous. My heart is steadfast on God and his promise. He says in verse 4, For your steadfast love is great above the heavens. Your faithfulness reaches to the clouds. So when David says, my heart is steadfast, he's talking here about my heart is going to be courageous and strong. And so he says here, God's steadfast love. And again, these are English translations of the Hebrew. But the idea of God's love being steadfast is a good one. It's a good translation in the sense that God's love is equally determined to, to see through his love for us. And so his love, it says, David says, is great above the heavens. That when we think about what we know of the heavens, even beyond what David knew, now David wasn't an idiot. He could look up and see the stars, see the Milky Way far better than we can see them now. David saw the Milky Way the way we see it in these special photos of somebody who went down to Antarctica or something, and there's no light in the sky. That's how David saw the stars every night. And David is saying that God's steadfast love is beyond it. It's above the universe. It's beyond the vastness of the universe. And we know that the universe is unbelievably vast, incomprehensibly vast. And David is saying as incomprehensibly vast as the universe is, even infinitely more is God's steadfast love for me. Not just his steadfast love, but this, this idea of God's faithfulness to his promise, his faithfulness to his word. Because of his love, his faithfulness reaches to the clouds. This is poetry, of course. 
but it's a great image that God's faithfulness is higher than anything else in our life, and God's steadfast love for us is even more vast than the entire universe. And it's like what we've been saying, and we have to believe that. We have to always remind ourselves that God's word is true. His love for us, love for me personally, his love for you personally is steadfast and even infinitely more vast than the universe itself. But the universe itself is a measure because God created the universe. It's a measure of the power of God, and it's a measure, David says, of the steadfast love of God and the faithfulness of God. And we have to have a heart that takes courage, derives its courage based upon that truth, that God is going to be faithful to his word. We're waiting on the Lord to be faithful to his promise. And so his praise in verse 5, be exalted, O God, above the heavens. When I look at the universe, when I look at the Milky Way, when I look at the galaxies, be exalted, O God, the God that created this universe. Be exalted, the God of power and the God of wisdom that's even more vast than the incomprehensible vastness of this universe. The God of steadfast love that's even more loving than the incomprehensible vastness of this universe. God is faithful to his promise. God is exalted. Be exalted. Exalted, O God, he says, let your glory be over all the earth, that everything I see would see that as a reflection of your glory as the creator, your beauty as the creator. The God that created this world is unfathomably wise, unfathomably intelligent, unfathomably powerful, and he is faithful to his word. He is able to accomplish what he has promised. So he says in verse 6, that your beloved ones may be delivered. Again, it goes back to this idea that the God who created this universe is a God who has focused his love on us. And so the psalmist here, David, calls, it, calls us God's beloved ones. We are the ones he loves, that the ones he loves may be delivered. Give salvation by your right hand and answer me, David says. That phrase we've looked at before, by your right hand, is picked up in the New Testament talking about where Jesus is seated at the right hand of God. This is where God's salvation comes from. It's a metaphor in battle when the soldier would carry the sword in his right hand. Jesus is at the right hand of God's power. Jesus is the right hand of God's saving action. Jesus is the very act of God's promise, of God's steadfast love, of God's faithfulness, of God's salvation for us. I don't know what your image is when you think of that word salvation. A wrong image we often have is that it's about having our sins forgiven so that when we die, we go to heaven. We really do have to get rid of that unbiblical idea and start to understand the biblical concept of salvation is to be restored to this fullness of humanity, restored to this fullness of life that we will have by receiving the promise of God when heaven comes back to earth and we have resurrection and we have salvation and we are delivered from our enemies of death and evil both within us and in this world, so that God's glory may be over all the earth, that we would live in God's glory over all the earth, that we would have bodies that are basking and glorying in the glory of God. This exalted existence, 
this existence of clearly seeing the steadfast love of God is great above the universe and his faithfulness reaches to the clouds. And we will know that when salvation comes. We will see it when salvation comes. And so he says in verse 7, God has promised in his holiness. And that word holiness has the idea of his splendor, his glory, his beauty, his righteousness, his radiance. God has promised in his glory, in his holiness to give us salvation. And so we wait for the Lord and let our hearts take courage. So verse 12, oh, grant us help from the foe. The enemy is the idea there. Our enemy that we have, that we can't fight, the enemy is more powerful than us, except that God is more powerful than our enemy. And God has focused his steadfast love on us and his faithfulness to his word to deliver us and to be our salvation. So verse 12, oh, grant us help against the foe for vain is the salvation of man. This is the voice of courage. The voice of courage says that vain is any other help but God, and God has promised. So verse 13, with God we shall do valiantly. It is he who will tread down our foes. Now this is old language. It's an old 3,000-year-old poem, and so the foes there were quite literal. But I think we are in just as much of a situation where we have foes. We have enemies. And I'm not talking about the people at work that are hard. I'm talking about the spiritual enemies that are trying to keep us from the promises of God, trying to keep us from the salvation of God, trying to snatch us out of this story, this bigger story, this better story, and stick us in the quicksand of the dead-end story of any other story. What are the foes right now in, in your life? Maybe there are work issues that really are a threat to you, a threat to your well-being in some way, a threat to your life in some way. Nobody's trying to kill you, but there are situations at work where there are enemies to our well-being. There are people who are trying to harm us in other ways and do damage to our reputation, do damage to our ability to flourish. Or maybe your foes have to do with money problems. Or maybe you're having a hard time having a good job, finding a good job, keeping a good job. These are foes. These are real challenges to our faith. Just as much, every bit as much, as any of the enemies that David had to fight. Common foes in our life includes our own sin. Our sin makes us often our own worst enemy. We get swept up by desires that are irrational and we do things that are foolish, and we put ourselves in prisons of our own making, just like we talked about in the last episode. Our life is surrounded by foes, forces that cause broken relationships in our lives, or that we have sickness in our lives, physical problems, brokenness in our lives. Maybe death is at our door, or the death of our loved ones, the sickness of our loved ones. We are always surrounded by spiritual foes, even if we can't see them spiritual forces that are trying to keep us from the promise of God and bring darkness in our lives and prison in our lives so that Jesus, when he said to Paul, I am sending you to open their eyes, those who will hear the gospel, that they would turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God. There's a real foe that they had that they didn't know, that we have that we don't know. And running this race and fighting this fight, living in the bigger story, the better story, requires courage. It requires a heart of courage, a heart that is focused on the promise of God, the faithfulness of God, the steadfast love of God for you. 
that when God is your salvation, the worst case scenario for you, the worst case scenario for you will be overcome by God's salvation, by resurrection, by the beginning of the bigger story, a life of glory in the presence of God and in the presence of a new community built on love, without separation, without loss, without enemies. We'll have challenges for sure, and we'll have to overcome obstacles in life because that's what life is as we continue the creation of God and the work of God over his creation. But there won't be any sin. Thorns, thistles, dust, death. So with God, we shall do valiantly. It is he who will tread down our enemies. And as Paul says in the New Testament, the last enemy that he has tread down is death itself. And as Revelation tells us, all the spiritual forces of wickedness under Satan will be thrown into the lake of fire, whatever that means. But God's right hand have gained salvation for us, it says here, that your beloved ones may be delivered. Give salvation by your right hand. God's right hand, all the saving work of Jesus, all that God is for you in Jesus through the death and resurrection of Jesus, through the righteous life of Jesus, has assured that the last word is going to be the kingdom of God. Jesus is your salvation that makes your heart steadfast now as you wait for the Lord. Have courage now. Have joy now. As David says, I will sing and make melody in my heart, with thanksgiving, having our life now focused on a confident expectation that God is bringing our salvation. He has already begun it in the resurrection of Jesus. It's already started. And even now in our fears, and there will be bad consequences in our lives, bad outcomes that do happen, and we are going to die, and yet we live with this focused, confident expectation and courage in the salvation of God's promise. That's what you want even more than what you fear. Take your greatest fear, and should that happen, God has promised a greater promise. And one of those promises is that our loss is turned into joy. He reverses. The great reversal is to reverse the pain into gladness, the tears into joy. Whatever worst-case scenario you can think of in life that causes you to lose courage, you can have courage that God has overcome already for you in all that he is for you in Christ. The kingdom of God, when heaven returns to earth and you rise from the dead, will wipe away every tear from your eye. And Jesus says, Behold, I am making all things new. Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. Jesus says in Revelation. That's the secret to courage, is having a better expectation, a higher expectation that is even great above the heavens. And so we pray, oh God, you are the I am. You are the one who is always 100% present with me. I am never outside of your presence. I am never outside of your care. I am never beyond your eye that is looking at me with steadfast love and faithfulness. There is never a moment in my day when I am outside of your faithfulness to me, when I am outside of your focused love upon me. Your steadfast love is great above 
the heavens, above the universe, as vast as this universe is, even infinitely more vast, is your steadfast love for me. That's a picture of your love, and yet it's not even a picture as the extent of your love is infinitely beyond that. I can trust your love as I see the universe. I can trust your faithfulness even as I look at the clouds because your faithfulness is above the clouds. In poetry, David says, it's true that there's never a moment that I am not living in the presence of your faithfulness. I am. There's never a moment I'm not basking in the glory of your steadfast love for me. With God, with you, I shall do valiantly because it is you that will tread down all of my enemies. You already have defeated death by breaking through the other side of death for me. You've already risen from the dead and for me, you've already begun the new creation of this world. Vain is the salvation that comes from anywhere else because salvation comes from you. You have promised in your holiness. You have promised salvation to me in your glory, in your radiance, in your beauty, in your splendor. You have promised salvation to me, and I trust your promise. You have called me your beloved one, and I trust your word. I trust that I am your beloved one. I trust that you give salvation to your beloved by your right hand. Jesus is at your right hand, and in Christ I stand with him at your right hand because I've been crucified with Jesus, and I've been made alive together with Jesus, and I've been raised together with Jesus and seated together with Jesus at your right hand with complete acceptance, never separation from you. You are infinitely always present with me because you are the I am who is always in the present tense in every present tense in my life. Be exalted, O God. Be exalted in my heart above all else because everything else that I fear is still lesser than the glory of your promise for me and the confident expectation I have because of your love for me. I don't want to have to go through the pain of loss, and yet I know whatever it is I lose, Paul says, doesn't even begin to compare to the surpassing value of Christ in my life. Be exalted, O God. I praise you. I give thanks to you. I worship you. I praise you. My heart is steadfast, O God. I will give thanks to you. I will sing praises and say praises to you for your steadfast love for me is great above the heavens and your faithfulness reaches to the clouds. You have promised this in your holiness. You have promised this in your righteousness. You have promised this in all your power and all your glory. And I believe your promise. I take the swan dive of faith off the cliff into the arms of your promise, into the arms of your steadfast love that endures forever into the arms of your salvation at the right hand of the Most High. And whatever foes in my life now, I know that you are present with me and you are faithful to me and you are my salvation in my whatever situation I have at work, whatever situation that I have that are threatened relationships or threatened status or threatened well-being in some way with my money or with my job or with my health or sins in my life. You are my salvation. You are present with me. 
And so my heart takes courage because you are present with me against the foe. You are present with me in every situation where the foe is pressing in on my life. So with God, I shall do valiantly. I may die of whatever threatens me, but with God, I shall do valiantly because I have the promise of your salvation. The worst case in my life does not threaten the wonderful salvation you have promised me and all that you are for me in Jesus. And so my heart takes courage and I wait for you. I lift my head and lift my eyes and I wait for you, for your salvation. My heart is steadfast, O God, for your steadfast love is great above the heavens and your faithfulness reaches to the clouds that your beloved ones may be delivered and that you may give salvation by your right hand. And I trust you. I believe you. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to A Bigger Life, a podcast of The Crossing, a church in Columbia, Missouri. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and give it a rating so people can find this content more easily or consider texting it to a friend or posting it on social media. Thanks for listening.